0: studio by mr. Brad Brown
1: hey Brad, John good to see you hey John Mark how are you doing it's been a while it has been a while actually feels like decades.
0: Yeah, so everybody celebrated 4th of July this week. If you're listening to this now, we're actually recording
1: this before the 4th of July. That's right. It's a weird time thing. So this is very strange
0: how we can, you know, bend
1: time That's like right. this. But we hope you had a wonderful 4th right. of July. We
0: hope it was beautiful. And um, if it wasn't, uh,
1: I guess I apologize. Yeah, John Mark, what were some of happened. your favorite memories <laughs> from the 4th of July? Really
0: just the, the food that I had? Yep was really good.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, and I agree. Just
0: the time spent with friends and family. There you go. Was a lot of fun for me.
1: I love that. The
0: weather was was stupendous. It was, it very, was very good. Yeah. Where I was. Okay. Because I think it's supposed to rain here in Birmingham. I hate and, that. And I'm not in yeah. Birmingham right now as you listen you mean, to
1: this. <laughs> <laughs> you mean it did rain in Birmingham or uh, It's going to.
0: It's probably going to. All right. So it may have already.
1: Yeah. By the time you listen to this. That's right. That's right.
0: <laughs> this is this not is, going well. This, this is, is like not, Tenet or
1: something. We're like right at the beginning this of it. Just no idea what's happening. This is
0: not going well. But seriously, I hope you all had a great, great holiday. Um, Brad, what's what's going on in your world, man? I mean, there's there's a lot of. I feel like television is really busy right now um, a lot of shows you know some some uh shows that have been putting out like new seasons yep um so we've had like stranger things has like a whole new That's season right. that they've put out yep. only those mur- kids are growing up only murders in the building they they have a new Second season, season just, just dropped just started to drop i mean there's so many so many shows right now happening Any, yep. anything that stuck out to you in particular
1: well, I recently started watching The Old Man on Hulu. Oh, yeah, Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges. How and is it? I've heard it's awesome. I've enjoyed it so far. I would recommend.
0: Yeah. Okay, good, good. There's also been a slate what of... About, what about you, JM? Well, I was going to say there's been a slate of good movies. You know, I, I mentioned uh, on a previous episode that I just uh, watched Top Gun Maverick. In the theater, mm. just an
1: incredible, incredible. I haven't seen it yet. I want to.
0: Dude, it's so good. Tom Cruise just showing you why he's Tom Cruise, that he can still get it done. Unreal. It's, just, it's, it's unbelievable at his age and just how long he's been in the game that he can still make blockbuster movies. Actually, somebody was talking about how refreshing it was to watch the end credits of a movie that a movie that had nothing to do with giant monsters battling each other. <laughs> I was like, you know, that that is like kind of nice. Like, no, I'm not trying to show throw shade on all the uh, superhero movies. Yeah, that John dominate Mark. the culture. But uh, why don't you give us your thoughts? Well, here's what I will say about Top Gun: Maverick. Very little CGI. They actually yeah. exist out uh, in the real world with like real sun and clouds and
1: skies and they actually f- went up in the plains. Right? They actually
0: went up in the plains for real. So it's just it's beautifully shot. It's it's a it's beautiful insane. beautiful film. It's wow. really awesome. Okay, so fun blockbuster movie and honestly I can't wait for the Mission Impossible he's going to put out next year. Oh goodness, they're always so fun. Win. So that's what's been going on. Well, let's jump to uh,
1: an album. Yeah, let's dive right in. little post-4th of July album
0: So continuing, yeah. continuing along this Daniel Lanois thread from oh. last week. Yeah, I remember, remember that I fe- from, from last from week. From last week when we recorded, yeah. I featured the uh, Daniel Lanois record. This is another record that he produced in the mid-90s uh, by Emmylou Harris. And the record is called Wrecking Ball. Now, if you don't know who Emmylou Harris is, she's a classic country artist. She's She's been around for a while She's written and performed a lot of great music over the years. Uh-huh. And in the mid-90s, you know, Daniel Lanois just had this thing about producing these artists sort of in their second half of their career as they've gotten older. And there's just something that he brings musically that just, I mean, the, this record is incredible. and I've wow. re- And I recently got into it. Just because I've been, you know, trying to look into everything that Daniel N. Y. has produced. Right, right. And this track is called Where Will I Be? And uh-huh. it's just, it's fantastic. But she actually covers. Um, so Daniel and Y uh, produced some Bob Dylan records. when She actually covers a Bob Dylan song on this record. Oh no way! Called "Every Grain of Sand," which was actually a record off of one of his gospel uh, or a song off one of his gospel records. Oh, that's cool. Um, and this album is just incredible, man. It's got the you can kind of feel the YouTube vibe. Oh yeah. And uh, one of my favorite drummers, Brian Blade, actually plays a lot on this record as well. So this this whole record's fun. Check it out. It's called Wrecking Ball. There's a few Wrecking Balls. There's Bruce Springsteen had a record called Wrecking Ball. I believe Miley Cyrus had a song called Wrecking Ball. That's right.
1: That's right, yep.
0: <laughs> Emily Lou Harris, that's what you want to find. That's what that's you want to search for. That's the Wrecking Ball you want to look for. Although the <laughs> Bruce Springsteen one is, is very, very good as okay, well. Okay, okay. But uh, yeah, man, I I don't know what it is about Daniel Lanois right now, but I'm just digging in deep. I'm going deep, man, and I'm loving it. Mm. Yep. So I hope you all enjoy it. Check it out.
1: Welcome, friends, family, fans, to another edition of Bradford's Book Club. This week, the book that I am recommending is a book that John Mark owns, and I'm actually holding his copy. I have a copy. Hey, how'd you get that? You handed it to me. That's right. I have a copy, but it's on Kindle, so I can't hold it unless I'm holding my iPad. So it's nice to have it in the flesh and Book form,
0: real book form. It's nice to hold something in your hands like that, to hold a physical copy of something. That's right. That someone poured effort, money, time into to,
1: to, to print this off, this beautiful book. That's right. It's bound beautifully. Exactly. And I wanted to point that out because I have a copy. John Mark has a copy. Jonathan has a copy. Oh, okay. So three strikes, and you need to get this book. right. So this is a That's book
0: Brad's, Brad's three strike guarantee.
1: I wish we had a little like you're out of here or whatever. <laughs> hold on. You know. Hold
0: on, give me a second. <laughs> Brad's three strike guarantee.
1: That's right. The book that I'm recommending today is titled Reading While Black: African American Biblical Interpretation as an Exercise in Hope, it's written by a scholar named Esau Macaulay. Have you heard anything by Esau Macaulay? John Mark, any podcasts, any lectures, anything?
0: Yes, to all of those things.
1: You know, and I think Jonathan has as well. So three strikes again. Esau Macaulay got a PhD. <laughs> We're going to come up with a I don't think a window
0: breaking is no, probably the be
1: best... It's got to be something with baseball. Yeah,
0: like, you're you're out of here. Although I don't know why we're (laughs) striking someone out if it's a good thing, like if it's a guarantee. We haven't really workshopped this
1: idea. But I think once we flesh it out, it's really going to add. Sometimes you have
0: to do it in the moment.
1: It's going to add to the addition. That's right. So Esau Macaulay got his Ph.D. from St. Andrews. He's an assistant professor of New Testament at Wheaton College. He's also a priest in the Anglican Church of north america he's a contributing opinion writer for the new york times let me read a little bit about this book he's actually i think he grew up in alabama
0: i think he did yes
1: growing up in the american south esau macaulay knew firsthand the ongoing struggle between despair and hope that marks the lives of some in the african-american context a key element in the fight for hope was the practice of bible interpretation coming from his traditional black church this ecclesial tradition, church tradition, is often disregarded by much of the wider church and academy, but it has something vital to say. Reading while black is a personal and scholarly testament to the power and hope of black biblical interpretation, at the same excuse me, at a time in which some within the African American community are questioning the place of the Christian faith in the struggle for justice, New Testament scholar Macaulay argues that reading scripture from the perspective of black church tradition is invaluable for connecting with a rich faith history and addressing the urgent issues of our times. He advocates for a model of interpretation that involves an ongoing conversation between the collective black experience and the Bible in which the particular questions coming out of black communities are given pride of place And the Bible is given space to respond by affirming, challenging, and at times reshaping black concerns. Macaulay demonstrates this model with studies on how Scripture speaks to topics often overlooked by white interpreters such as ethnicity, political protest, policing, and slavery. Ultimately, Macaulay calls the church to a dynamic theological engagement with Scripture in which Christians of diverse backgrounds dialogue with their own social Location as well as the cultures of others. Reading while black moves the conversation forward. Wow. What a back cover. I wanted to read it all because there is a lot there. But one of the things that I've loved about Macaulay is he says that in order to interpret the scriptures correctly, we need the entire church. Mm. So, not just the American church, but we need the church from around the world, we need the global church. We need South American Christians and African Christians and Asian Christians. And he also says we need to listen to the black church and how it's read and interpreted the scriptures, the concerns that it brings to the text. And he says that he argues that this is a voice that has not been uh, elevated to the same place as some other voices. And so he wants to elevate it. And the other thing that I love about him, I was listening to a podcast and he said, You know, one of the greatest compliments you can pay to my book is to engage with it rigorously and to even disagree with it. Mm. I would love to have a conversation so that we can both be better interpreters of Scripture. And so if you want to get a little taste, you can listen to a podcast or search for him on YouTube and hear some of his lecture. But I've enjoyed a lot of what he has had to say. I follow him on Twitter. Enjoy his tweets. And Lecrae says it's a must read, so need we say anything else? I concur with Lecrae and many <laughs> others. Uh and I
0: would say read the book. If you know, we uh Brad recommends a lot of weighty books on his Bradford's book club. Thank you, Joe. And sometimes that can feel intimidating to someone, you know, that's may- maybe hasn't cracked open a book that's like theologically heavy or, Mm. uh, in that direction. But I would say, I mean, I, I read this book. I actually think it's, uh, he's incredibly intelligent, Yep. but he, man, he just lays out everything in such a great way. He's a great communicator, great communicator, great writer, very very, clear, very accessible. I loved the book. I highly recommend it. So the first thing you should do is go buy the book. And then I think you should follow him on Instagram and Twitter. He, he does, uh, write a ton of opinion pieces for the New York times. He brings a very interesting voice, a unique voice, especially for the New York times. I I love Mm -hmm. what he writes. And uh, so you just need to follow him on social media. Just keep up with what he's doing. Um, He put out a children's book that I bought. Oh yeah. uh, Called, I hope I don't butcher the name of it. I think it's called Josie Johnson's hair and the Holy spirit. I bought it for my kids. I read Mm -hmm. it to them. I, Man, he's an awesome writer, and I really look forward uh, to seeing what else he does uh, throughout the rest of his life, some of the other books that he writes. So,
1: great recommendation, That's great. Great job. uh, All right. That three-strike guarantee. That's right. That three-strike guarantee, reading while black, (laughs) African-American biblical interpretation is an exercise in hope by Esau McCauley. I love it. Okay, so what are we doing today? Today, we are doing a greatest hits, and we
0: are going... You know, because it's like a record, like greatest SVCC greatest hits.
1: Exactly. We got we we're workshopping a lot of ideas right now live. That's right. Well, you gotta do it in the field. That's how you learn. So today we're doing a greatest hits. We're gonna be listening to a sermon by our pastor, our fearless leader, Jonathan Haefs, and this is a sermon that he gave back in July of twenty. 20- Twenty one, July eleventh, twenty twenty one. July eleventh, many moons ago is yes. my middle school track coach, Coach Keys, used to say. Oh yeah, he would always say many moons ago if he was talking about. Why was he t- the younger version of himself or something? Okay, like when okay. he was in college, but he'd he would refer say to that. it. He'd he re- re- self-referential
0: That's to right. his time as a track and field yes. I'm athlete. I'm assuming yes. many moons ago in college. That's right. <laughs> Many moons ago, and That's obviously right. that left a profound impact on will never, I'll never forget to this it. Day.
1: I, I still say it if I'm talking about, a, you know, a few months ago even.
0: Yeah, so we're going to let you hear this sermon, and we're actually going to go ahead and uh, peace out and say sayonara at this moment instead of at the end of the sermon. So you're going to hear the sermon, and that'll be the end of the episode. So thank you. For listening to Shades Midweek. We really, really appreciate it. We thank you for the support. Uh, go leave us a five star review on iTunes if you have a moment. That would be very nice. You can actually still do that. I don't think you can leave reviews on Spotify. So go leave it on iTunes, download it, share it with your friends, um, and then write into us at midweek at shadesvalley.org. Why
1: should they do that, Brad? Because here at Shades Midweek, you're part of the conversation. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Psalm 87, titled "The Kingdom of God?" Question mark by Jonathan Hayes.
2: Our scripture reading for today is Psalms 87. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion, more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born here, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord records as He registers the peoples. This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, All my springs are in you. The word of the Lord.
3: So I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 87. If you haven't done so already, I don't know uh, how many of you like jigsaw puzzles, uh, but not many people do because jigsaw puzzles can be incredibly frustrating for a variety of reasons. You lose one piece, whole thing's ruined, wasted hours of your life. Or perhaps you're partnered with someone putting together a puzzle and they don't pursue the same puzzle process as you do. It's edges first, people. Edges first is the only right way to do this. Or there's the one that annoys me most. And that's accidentally putting together pieces that don't actually go together. Having five children, this happens a lot. Like, especially the larger the puzzle is. The larger it is, the more complex it is. The smaller the pieces, the easier it is to think these things attach when they don't. Things look like they're supposed to be connected, like they fit, but they, they don't actually. And Connecting them actually ends up distorting the entire picture of the puzzle. This doesn't just happen with puzzles. It happens with theology. It happens with what we think about God, what we think about his word. It happens with Psalm 87. This psalm is about the kingdom of God. That's a theological phrase that you're probably a little familiar with. It was used by a popular guy some of you may have heard of. His name is Jesus. Talked about the kingdom of God just a little bit. And and this theological concept, its contents are rather complex. And as a result, many people try to connect the kingdom of God to things that don't actually go together, like those mismatched puzzle pieces. And it ends up distorting the entire biblical picture of what the kingdom of God is. I wonder... What picture comes to your mind when you hear me use the phrase, the kingdom of God? What foundation do you begin to lay when you hear that phrase? Maybe you start thinking the kingdom of God is heaven and this future reality. The kingdom of God's here and now and it's a present reality. What, What foundation do you begin to lay? When I use that phrase, I wonder what expectations does that phrase create in your heart? expectations of, oh, the kingdom of God has very little to do with my life right now. It's just something I wait for. Or the kingdom of God has everything to do with my life right now. Maybe it creates expectations of the kingdom of God as something God will bring. Or maybe expectations of the kingdom of God as something I'm supposed to work to bring and to build. I wonder what expectations it creates in your heart. And I wonder what actions it leads you to take. When you hear and think about the kingdom of God, what actions does it Lead you to an action of just waiting, that the kingdom is something God is supposed to bring and establish. An action of witnessing the kingdom, something I witness about. An action of working the kingdom, something I'm supposed to establish. When I say the phrase, the kingdom of God, what foundation do you begin to lay? What expectations do you begin to create? And what actions does it lead you to take? What is your picture of the kingdom of God? shades Shades. it is vital vital that we have a biblical picture of the kingdom of god less we have an incorrect foundation that creates false expectations that leads us to take unbiblical actions we need the bible to put together this theological puzzle for us and it does does Psalm 87 puts together three puzzle pieces giving us a biblical picture of the kingdom of God so here's the plan let's take each of those three pieces of Psalm 87 one at a time then at the end or actually the middle let's step back and see how that biblical picture of the kingdom of God let, let's let's see the The foundation that it lays. Let's see the expectations that it creates. Let's see the biblical action it leads us to take. Got the plan. Got it or not, we're going for it. Here we go. Puzzle piece number one. The kingdom of God was foreshadowed in the founding of Zion. The kingdom of God was foreshadowed in the founding of Zion. Look at Psalm 87 verses one through three. On the holy mount stands the city he, that's God, on the holy mount stands the city God founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. These verses describe the founding of Jerusalem as the city of God. But in order for us to get the full picture of what's really going on here, we need to back up a little bit in our biblical history, actually all the way back up to Genesis 12. If you remember in Genesis 12, God calls out Abraham and he makes with Abraham a unilateral covenant. In other words, a one-sided promise. Abraham's not required to do anything. God just says, this is what I will do. He makes this unilateral covenant with Abraham that he is going to bless him, and through him, he's going to bless all the families, all the nations of the world. He's going to do it through Abraham and through his offspring. How? How will God do that? How he will do it is foreshadowed Through the covenant he makes with Abraham's descendants, the nation of Israel. Exodus 19 and verse 5. This is what God says to Israel. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God says to Israel, if you will keep my covenant. In other words, this is a different kind of covenant than the one God made with Abraham. This is not a unilateral covenant. This covenant comes with conditions, blessings and curses for whether or not those conditions are kept or not. This is is different than that unilateral covenant. This, This is more like God's covenant with Adam. Or Adam had a covenant that he was to keep, and if he didn't keep it, he would be kicked out, exiled out of Eden. The same penalty was placed upon the Israelites. If they didn't keep their covenant, they would be kicked out, exiled out of the land that God had promised to them. So God says, if Israel will keep his covenant, he will make them a kingdom, a kingdom of priests to serve as a holy nation witness to the world. This is how Foreshadowing how, through Abraham's offspring, he will bless all the nations of the world. He will make them a kingdom of priests to serve as a holy nation witness to the world. This is what Psalm 87, 1 through 3, celebrates. It seems like that promise, that plan, is coming to pass. It's becoming a reality. Those first three verses of Psalm 87 celebrate when God was making Israel into a kingdom with a king and a capital city that contained the temple that would make them a holy witness to the world. Look at verse one again. See this unfold. On the holy mount, that's Mount Zion. It's more like a glorified hill, but okay, whatever. In Birmingham, we know something about calling hills mountains, all right? So on Mount Zion, which is called holy because it's where God chose to have the temple built. On the holy mount, stands the city that he founded. On Mount Zion is the city of Jerusalem. And because it's on Mount Zion, it also gets referred to not just as Jerusalem, but as Zion. Uh, We know something about nicknames for cities. We're the magic city, we're the iron city, we're all of these different things. Nickname for Jerusalem is Zion because that's the mountain it's located on. We see that in the very next verse. The Lord loves the gates of Zion. That's the city of Jerusalem. He loves it. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places throughout all the land of Jacob, all the land of Israel. In other words, what's being communicated here is that the Lord showed his favor towards Jerusalem by choosing it as the place his presence would be made known through the temple. He founded Jerusalem as his city. Verse three calls it the city of God. Now, when did this happen? Because Jerusalem existed as a city long before the Jews ever even actually showed up. It happened when God installed his king, David, there and made it the capital. When God installed David as the king of Israel, he made Jerusalem its capital. He gave David instructions to prepare all the supplies in order to build his temple on Mount Zion. David's son, King Solomon, eventually would build that temple. You see what's happening, what's unfolding through a king... God founded a kingdom where the world could come to the temple and experience His presence. Is this the kingdom of God? I mean, verse 3 does say, Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Glorious things like we read in Psalm 46 It declares all enemies will fail to conquer Zion. Glorious things like we read in Psalm 48. It says, Zion will be the joy of all the earth. And these glorious things only get more glorious when we get outside the Psalms and get into the prophets. The prophets declare that a king will come from David's line who will reign forever in perfect peace, justice, and righteousness and all of the nations of the world will stream to Zion in worship of God himself as king. These are the glorious things, the glorious things that never come to pass. Things, everything I just listed never happens because Israel just like Adam, doesn't obey the voice of God. They don't keep his covenant. That's precisely what Hosea 6 and verse 7 says. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. And just like Adam was exiled out of Eden, the people of Israel are exiled out of their land even the placement of this psalm psalm 87 its placement in book 3 of the psalter is meant to highlight this reality if you remember we've gone over the different themes that are traced throughout the books of the psalter and thematically book 3 of the psalms mourns the downfall of zion i mean by the time you get to its end in psalm 89 zion has clearly been conquered by babylon and forced into exile zion hasn't withstood being conquered by its enemies it has been conquered by its enemies zion isn't the joy of all the earth psalm 44 says it becomes the joke of all the earth there is no perfect king from david's line so that there's perfect peace in the nations stream and design to worship god no the opposite is happening the people of god are actually being forced out of zion by the nations to worship their gods in exile so again i ask is the founding of Zion the founding of the kingdom of God? Or is it a foreshadowing of it? You know what foreshadowing is, all right, Foreshadowing, uh, it, it's, it's an indication of what's to come. Shows up in movies and Stories a lot, like I'm sure all of you have seen The Empire Strikes Back, the greatest Star Wars movie made yet to date. And, you know, when Luke goes into the cave and he has this vision of fighting Darth Vader and he, graphic content, he cuts off Vader's head. Um, the, the mask explodes and it's Luke's own face inside there. It's foreshadowing. It's foreshadowing that he's got some kind of relation. There's something of himself in Vader. Spoiler alert, like 40-year-old spoiler alert. Vader's his father. who's was being foreshadowed. Or when you watch The Godfather, one of the greatest movies of all time, every time you see somebody holding an orange or near oranges, it's foreshadowing that they're going to die. Watch the movie. I promise. It's in there. It's foreshadowing. Uh, foreshadowing's like the eerie music in a movie that, that, that starts playing that lets you know something bad is, is coming. Foreshadowing is, is like seeing a shadow that lets you know something's casting that. Something is is coming. It's an indicator of what's coming. And that is what the founding of Zion in the Old Testament is. It's an indicator of what's coming. There is a kingdom like Zion coming, but it's a perfect kingdom and Jerusalem is not it. There is a king like David coming, but he's a perfect king and David is not him. All of the nations of the world will be blessed through Abraham's offspring, but the nation of Israel is not it. All of this foreshadows the kingdom of God that is to come. Shades, when you think of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, think of it as a foreshadowed kingdom. The kingdom of God was foreshadowed in the founding of Zion. But it won't be fulfilled until the future. That's what we see in puzzle piece number two. Number two, the kingdom of God will be fulfilled in the future Zion. So we've dealt with the past. The kingdom of God was foreshadowed in the founding of earthly Zion. Now the future, the kingdom of God will be fulfilled in the future Zion. That gets teased out for us. Look at verse four. God himself now speaks in this psalm. He says, among those who know me, I mentioned Rahab, and Babylon, old Philistia and Tyre and Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, I, I, I like the Greek version of the Old Testament right here, it says, and of Mother Zion. Of Mother Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. See why it calls her Mother Zion? These people were born in her. For the Most High Himself will, will, that's future, The Most High Himself will establish her, will establish Zion. What in the world is going on in this psalm? It just celebrated when Zion was established, and now it looks forward to when God will establish Zion. He will establish her. The Lord records as He registers the peoples, this one was born there. So verse 5 proclaims to us that the day will come in the future when God himself will establish, found Zion, a future Zion. We've already celebrated the present earthly Zion. This is talking about a future Zion, which the founding of the past Zion foreshadowed. This this Zion, this is a kingdom to come. And everything glorious ever said about Zion will come to pass with this kingdom. We see that right here in the words of God himself in verse 4. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab. That's Egypt. It's a nickname for Egypt. I mention Egypt and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre and Cush. This is a list of enemies who opposed and oppressed and tried to conquer God's people. But God says that the day will come when He will conquer those enemies by conquering their hearts. See, He says they will be among those who know Him. Well, know me that, that's language for believe in Him. Come to faith in him. Become citizens of his kingdom. In other words, the day will come when God will establish a future kingdom, a future Zion, in which it really will be the joy of all nations. And when he says all nations, he means all. Let me just mention the ones you least expect to be there, God says. Zion will be the joy of all the nations. How? How's that going to happen? again. Verses 5 and 6. And of mother Zion it shall be said this one and that one were born in her. These nations I just talked about. This one, that one were born in her. For the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the people there's a picture of a census that the lord is taking inscribing who is a citizen of this kingdom the lord records as he registers the people this one egypt babylon the philistines this one was born in her in other words the most high himself the lord will make people from every kingdom citizens of his kingdom he will do something he will do something that will make them not just citizens, like naturalized citizens. He will do something that will make them natural born citizens. You see that? They will be citizens as if this one was born in Zion. the Zion to come. In other words, God is saying, listen, These people, they may have been physically born in Egypt or Babylon or Philistia or America or China or Uganda. Pick your country. They may have been born as citizens of any of those kingdoms, but he will do something to cause them to be born again as citizens of his kingdom. First Peter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God the Father has done something. He so loved the world that he sent his Son, Jesus, to die the death that every enemy of God deserved to die so that he might give us new life which Jesus himself describes in John chapter three as being born again. Shades, Ephesians 2 says that we are all natural born citizens of the kingdom of this world and thus natural born enemies of God. We deserve to be on this list in Psalm 87, but by his grace, we are born again as citizens of his kingdom. And one day that kingdom will be consummated. That's what's being talked about right here in Psalm 87. One day, King Jesus will come, and Revelation 21 pictures his kingdom of new creation as a city, a city it calls New Jerusalem, New Zion. It's it's a picture. We talked about this when we went through the book of Revelation. it's It's not a literal city. It's a picture. It's a symbol of new creation, of his kingdom to come. People from every tribe and nation and tongue will stream into it to worship God who has made all things new. That is the kingdom that the first Zion was pointing to. Jesus is the king who David was pointing to. He's the Lamb of God, fully and finally present with his people. That's what the temple was pointing to. That's why Revelation 21 and verse 22 tells us that in the new creation in the new city of Zion there will be no temple building for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. What the temple was pointing towards will be fulfilled. David was pointing towards will be fulfilled. What Zion was pointing towards will be fulfilled. Everything foreshadowed will be fulfilled. The kingdom of God will be fulfilled in future Zion. But in order to get an accurate picture of what the Bible means when it talks about the kingdom of God, you're like, okay, Jonathan said it wasn't the kingdom of Israel. This was foreshadowing a kingdom that's to come. It's this future kingdom of Christ that's going to come, new creation, that's the kingdom of God. That's not the whole picture yet. There's one more puzzle piece that we need. Puzzle piece number three. The kingdom of God is foretasted by the citizens of Zion. The kingdom of God is foretasted. So we've talked about the past. It was foreshadowed in the founding of old earthly Zion. We talked about the future. It will be fulfilled in the future coming kingdom of Zion. Now we talk about the present. The kingdom of God is foretasted by the citizens of Zion. Verse 7. Singers and dancers alike say all my springs are present tense right now. All my springs are in you. Singers and dancers, in other words, worshipers, true believers, worshipers of God, they say, All my fountains are in you. All my fountains, my source of life, my true life, all of it, not part of it, not some. All of everything that is true life right now, I find it in you. It's in God because he has caused me to be born again already. Already he has given me new life. All the fountains of eternal life he has poured out within my soul. Already he's given me new life. I'm already a citizen of his kingdom, even if that kingdom is not yet fully here. Not yet have all wrongs been righted. Not yet is there perfect peace. Not yet has death been reversed in resurrection. Not yet has the kingdom age come fully. But what we're seeing is that it has broken into the present age through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Resurrection belongs to the kingdom age to come. But through the resurrection of Jesus... That age has broken into the present and already I can say I experience kingdom life. I experience being a citizen of that kingdom that's not yet fully here already. I am experiencing it. I'm foretasting it. We live in the overlap of the ages, the present age and the age to come. They overlap. The Jews did not expect this and that's why they had a very hard time recognizing Christ. The Jews expected this present age, to cataclysmically end and give way to the established kingdom of God and his rule and reign of perfect peace and justice forever. But in the fullness of time, God sent his son to inaugurate the kingdom that was to come through his death and resurrection. And one day he will come again to bring that inaugurated kingdom to consummation. We live in the overlap of the ages, the already, not yet. Not yet has the kingdom come in full, but already we foretaste it. Jesus himself talked about the kingdom this way. When Jesus came, he came declaring the kingdom of God as an already reality that he was showing up to inaugurate. I'll just give you one example. Matthew 12 and verse 28. Jesus says, if by the spirit of God I cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's here, now, in me. I'm inaugurating, I'm the king, I'm showing up. I'm inaugurating the kingdom. But yet Jesus also spoke about the kingdom of God as a coming reality, not yet fully fulfilled. I'll give you one example. Luke 22 and verse 18. I tell you that from now on, he's talking to his disciples at the Last Supper. I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. It's not yet fully here. And yet in some sense, we already for taste it because all who trust in Jesus become citizens of that kingdom now that's what Paul declares in Philippians our citizenship is in heaven from which we await King Jesus you're already a citizen of that kingdom the Holy Spirit already fills you with eternal resurrection life now you already foretaste the kingdom even though it is not yet fully here and now now the full puzzle picture of the kingdom of God begins to come into focus for us. It's a kingdom foreshadowed, a kingdom not yet fulfilled, but a kingdom already foretasted. This is what Scripture means when it talks about the kingdom of God. A kingdom foreshadowed, not yet fully fulfilled, But already foretasted. I wanna try to bring that picture into very sharp relief for you. This is very practical. It shapes your entire outlook on the Christian life. I wanna bring this into sharp relief for you. And I think the easiest way to bring this picture of the kingdom into sharp relief is to step back. Told you we were gonna do this. Step back and see the foundation this picture lays, the expectations. It creates and the actions that it leads us to take. It's what we're going to spend the rest of our time on. And each of these things, they connect with the puzzle pieces that we've already walked through. So in other words, it's the fact that the kingdom is a foreshadowed kingdom that leads us to know what foundation it lays. It's the fact that it is a not yet fulfilled kingdom that leads us to have proper biblical expectations. It's the fact that we already foretaste it that leads us to take biblical actions. Let's walk through that and bring this picture of the kingdom to sharp relief. So first, let's see the foundation this picture of the kingdom lays. Can't do any better than the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians thirteen eleven. No one can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. This picture of the kingdom, the foundation it lays is the foundation of the kingdom of Christ. That's that's what all of the foreshadowing was leading us to, right? All of the foreshadowing was leading us, bringing us to Christ. It guards us from making anything else the foundation of the kingdom of God. The foundation, according to the biblical picture of the kingdom of God, the foundation is Christ and Christ alone. And you're only a citizen of the kingdom if you're connected to Christ. God's kingdom is not founded on any country. It is founded on Christ. I I say that specifically to push back against two common misunderstandings in our context. And by our context, I mean the church in the United States of America. There's two common misunderstandings that try to connect, think about those puzzle pieces again, two common misunderstandings that try to connect the kingdom of God with a country instead of with Christ. One of those misconceptions tries to connect the kingdom of God with the country of Israel modern-day country of Israel. Uh, Because God swore to Abraham and to his offspring, those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. There are many who believe that blessing and cursing from God depends upon the way that we relate to modern-day Israel. A couple disclaimers here, people. I'm not anti-Semitic in the least. I am not trying to tell you what your politics about Israel and Palestine should be, or any of that. All I'm trying to tell you is that you do not have a divine mandate from God as to what those politics should be. Whether or not God blesses any nation is not dependent upon that nation's stance towards Israel. Because Israel is not the kingdom of God. Israel foreshadowed Christ. Christ who fulfilled their role. Jesus is the true Israelite. People are not a part of the kingdom of God by being connected to Israel or to any country. They're a part of the kingdom of God by being connected to Christ. Paul makes that point rather bluntly in Galatians, Galatians 3 and verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Paul's arguing over a singular or a plural right here. And he's saying that God intentionally, by the Spirit, made that promise to Abraham's offspring singular on purpose because it was a promise that was going to come to fulfillment, not in the nation of Israel, but in Christ. Verse 29 of Galatians 3, goes on to say, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If you're connected to Christ, the true Israelite, you are a part of the true Israel. You're Abraham's offspring. This is why I was able to grow up singing... Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. And then we did some crazy stuff with our arms and legs and spinning around and stuff. If you don't know, count yourself blessed. (laughs) That's why I could, could say that, because being a part of the kingdom of God doesn't depend upon being connected to any country, even the country of Israel. It depends upon being connected to the true Israelite, who is Christ. And it is Christ who has caused me to be born again as a citizen of the true Jerusalem. Not the earthly city in the Middle East, but the heavenly city that Paul in Galatians 4.26 calls our mother. The Jerusalem above is free and she is your mother. You were born in her. He's referencing the Greek version of Psalm 87. I can call Abraham my father and Jerusalem my mother because all who are connected to Christ are a part of the true Israel, the church. Jew and Gentile alike. God has one people and one way of salvation. Just in case there's any doubt, 1 Peter 2.9, the Apostle Peter looks at the multi-ethnic church from every nation. And he calls them this. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You should recognize those words. We read them back in Exodus chapter 19. That is what God called Israel to be. And Peter now applies those words to the church, to all those connected to Christ. He says, you are God's people, true Israel. You are God's holy nation. He's only got one. And it's the church. There is no such thing according to the bible there is no such thing as a christian nation other than the church of christ doesn't exist that should have been made clear to us in revelation revelation constantly gave us a picture of only two kingdoms the kingdom of god and the kingdom of this world that it called babylon every country in this world Belongs on one side of that equation. There is no third category. God has one holy people. One holy nation. His multi-ethnic people across the globe. Jew and Gentile alike. The church. The kingdom of God is not founded on a country. It's founded on... So whether or not you are blessed or cursed of God doesn't depend upon how you relate to any particular country. It depends on how you relate to Christ, how you relate to his church. That's what Jesus himself says in Matthew 25. Whatever you've done unto the least of these, my brothers, my church, you've done it unto me. How you relate unto the church is how you relate unto me. kingdom of God's not founded on a country, it's founded on Christ. Therefore, the citizens of the kingdom are those who are connected to Christ. Still, I told you there were two misconceptions. I've only been over one. There is a second country that people in our context try to connect, those puzzle pieces again, try to improperly connect with the kingdom of God, and that is our own country, the United States of America. This, This is actually the exact same mistake people make with Israel. They just treat America as if it's the new and true Israel. This is what I referred to a couple of weeks ago as the heresy of Christian nationalism. I want to get real explicit. If I'm going to call something a heresy, I don't use that word lightly. I want you to know what I'm talking about, okay? This is the belief that America has a special covenant relationship with God, like the Old Testament people of Israel. Please hear me, Shades. And everything I'm saying right here, I'm not talking about patriotism. I'm talking about Christian nationalism theologian michael horton i think defines the difference rather helpfully he says patriotism is america is special to me christian nationalism is america is special to god god has one special people it's the idea that god has chosen america out of all the other countries of the world to have a special covenant relationship with him so that he can use it as a redeemer nation like he used israel that makes the mistake. Do you see the mistake that's being made theologically when what we have seen about the foreshadowing of the kingdom? It makes the mistake of seeing America as the fulfillment of Israel instead of seeing Christ as the fulfillment of Israel. You, you can see this happen because people will do things like they'll pick up the promises that were made to Israel out in the Old Testament, and they will apply them as if they are about America. The one I heard the most growing up was Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them and I will heal their land. It's got nothing to do with the United States of America, Shades. It was a promise made to Israel who was existing under the Old Testament covenant with its blessings and curses. And if they would turn from their sin and repent and return to keeping covenant, God would bless them. America is not in that kind of relationship with God. No country is. Christian nationalism makes the mistake of seeing America as the fulfillment of Israel instead of Christ as the fulfillment of Israel. It misses Christ and puts America in its place as the Savior of the world. That's why it's a heresy. It's about a different Savior. It misses Christ and it misses the church who are alone Christ's people. Substitutes in America. In other words, It conflates the kingdom of God with our country. Jesus himself rejected such a notion in his words to Pilate. In John 18 and verse 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Christ says, my kingdom's not connected with a country. If it were, my sir, my followers, they would be here literally using violence and force to take control of that country in my name. Lord have mercy. This is what happens. This is why this is so vital. This is what happens when people equate the kingdom of God with the country. They take up swords in the Savior's name. Just ask the Holy Roman Empire. You saw itself as the kingdom of God and its responsibility to expand and claim land in the name of that kingdom. We call these the crusades, where soldiers literally marched forth underneath the banner of chanting and saying, Christ is Lord, as they cleaved in head, as they cleaved into the heads of infidels Jesus commands his followers not to take up swords but to put away their swords and to take up their cross because his kingdom is not of this world you can't bear witness to it with the weapons of this world or through the greatness of a country you can only bear witness to it through the foolishness of the cross What did we see over and over again throughout Revelation? That we are a people who conquer our enemies not by killing them, but by dying for them. By being conquered by them, we conquer. These are those who have conquered, who have held fast to the word of the Lamb and His testimony and have not loved their lives even unto death. Shades, the kingdom of God is not founded on a country. It was foreshadowed by one but fulfilled and founded on Christ alone. Do you see the biblical picture of the kingdom of God coming into sharper relief? It's a kingdom foreshadowed so that we may clearly see it's founded on Christ alone. The kingdom of God, it is the kingdom of Christ. But there's more. There's more to the biblical picture of the kingdom of God. We said that it's a kingdom foreshadowed, but we went further than that. We said it is also a kingdom not yet fulfilled. And that picture is brought into sharp relief by standing back, not just to see the foundation it lays, but to see the expectations it creates. The fact that it's a kingdom not yet fulfilled, what kind of expectation should that create in us as Christians? This is the second thing we need to see, the expectations this picture of the kingdom creates not yet fulfilled, won't be until King Jesus returns. It's only at the end of Revelation that we finally see the kingdom fulfilled in new creation. Christ comes, brings redemption to completion, rights all wrongs, banishes sin and death. The biblical picture of the kingdom is one that is not yet fulfilled and won't be until Jesus returns. That picture should create certain expectations in us. Expectations about whether or not we should expect tribulation or peace in this world. Peace is what characterizes the kingdom to come. Jesus told us in John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribulation. Yes, we will have peace in him, but we'll experience tribulation because this kingdom is not yet fulfilled. Creates expectations about how much righteousness we should expect to see in this world. I, I am... Consistently dumbfounded at Christians who are shocked and surprised at unrighteousness, Jesus says in John three nineteen, "The light has come into the world, and mankind loved the darkness and hated the light." It should create expectations in us about how much justice we think we are going to be able to achieve. Mark fourteen and verse seven, Jesus said, "You'll always have the poor with you." My kingdom will come. It will put poverty to an end. But until that day, poverty and all sorts of injustices will continue. See, here's what I'm getting at, Shades. Many Christians make the mistake of connecting, think puzzle pieces again, they make the mistake of connecting the kingdom of God with something we have the power and responsibility to bring. They speak of building the kingdom or bringing the kingdom by spreading peace, righteousness, justice, all of which are good things we should seek, but not with the expectation that we are bringing or building the kingdom. That will lead to burnout. You will become frustrated and jaded when you feel like you fail to change the world. I watch it happen to college student after college student after college student. And their faith just flounders because they didn't have a biblical picture of the kingdom of God. So they didn't have biblical expectations. And you either end up feeling guilty like you failed God, or you end up feeling disillusioned like God has failed you. Our expectation should not be to bring or build the kingdom. That's what Christ alone will do. He said so in Matthew 18 I will build my church. He will bring it at the close of the age. This is what Christ alone will do when he comes. Shades, do you see the biblical picture of the kingdom coming into sharper relief? It is the kingdom of Christ, but it is the not yet kingdom of Christ. We need to see that so that we may clearly see what our expectations should and shouldn't be. This is the not yet kingdom of Christ. So what does that mean? Does it mean we do nothing? Nothing. The world's just going to hell in a handbasket. That's what Jonathan said today. Let's just wait until Jesus comes to bring the kingdom. No, there is more to the biblical picture of the kingdom. Remember, there's one more puzzle piece. For while this is a kingdom not yet fulfilled, it is simultaneously a kingdom already foretasted. And that picture is brought into sharp relief. Through the actions that leads us to take. It's the third, final thing we need to see. The actions this picture of the kingdom leads us to take. Look at the last verse of Psalm 87 one more time. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are right here in the present. All my springs are in you. This is the action the kingdom leads us to take. Worship that bears witness these are worshipers dancers singers and they've got something to say they have a witness to bear all my fountains true life is found in God, in the King of the kingdom, and in Him alone. We declare to the world what we already foretaste. All my fountains, my true life is in God right now. I have eternal kingdom life in Christ. We bear witness to what we have foretasted, inviting others to foretaste it too. We, the church, are an outpost of the coming kingdom. We're, we're on enemy ground here, people. We are exiles. And we are strangers in this world. And we are an outpost of a kingdom that's coming. We're like an embassy of the age that is to come. Perhaps that's why 2 Corinthians calls us ambassadors. The church is like an embassy. And we are ambassadors who bear witness about the kingdom to which we belong. And we bear witness through word and deed. Through declaration and demonstration. We declare all my fountains are in you. And we demonstrate what the kingdom is like. We sing and dance. This is why I said of course we seek Peace and righteousness and justice. because Not because we think that through those things we're going to bring the kingdom, but through those things we are going to bear witness to the kingdom. We We fight poverty to bear witness to a kingdom that's coming where poverty will end. We fight racism to bear witness to the kingdom that's coming that crushes racism. That's what Psalm 87 does. It puts a dagger in the heart of racism. It takes the nations that the Jews would have been most prejudiced against and says, brothers and sisters, they are to you. We bear witness. we, we, We pursue justice and peace and righteousness with the goal of faithfully bearing witness. And that guards us from frustration and burning out. Because faithfully bearing witness, that's a goal we can complete. That's a goal we're called to complete. It's a goal we are empowered to complete. Our goal is not to build or bring the kingdom, but to bear witness to it. Even if that costs us our lives. We lovingly lay them down to bear witness to a Savior who lovingly laid his life down. We bear witness to his cross by taking up our own. We bear witness to the already, not yet, kingdom of Christ. That's the biblical picture of the kingdom of God. It is the already, not yet, kingdom of Christ. Do you see it, Shades? Do, do you believe it? Do you bear Witness to its shapes. My prayer is that we will be faithful, faithful citizens of the kingdom of God, the already, not yet.